you for joining us for another podcast from Covenant Community Church. And now, today's message. To have and to hold, is it possible to divorce-proof your marriage? Is it possible to divorce-proof your marriage? Okay, so I'm going to lay a little backdrop here for you so that you can understand, because Elaine has... Uh, some, some awesome things that she's going to share with you. But before we do that, I want to share this quote with you. From, so Mark Twain said this, principles have no real force except when one is well-fed. Principles have no real force except when one is well-fed. So there are two essential things that I want to share with you. There are two things that are essential to learning. The first thing is you must gain knowledge about anything that you do, especially marriage. You have to gain knowledge. Now, listen, the knowledge of a thing is not the possession of it. Just knowing something don't mean you understand it. So you got to gain knowledge. Now, here's number two, because this is vitally important. You must become skillful by applying what you have learned. Now, listen, no marriage starts off great. They start off good. You're not great until you go through some stuff together. That's when you know that you can, you, you've made it. Amen? Now, the problem with a lot of, with some marriages I see today, it start off as an ideal, then it becomes an ordeal, and then pretty soon you want a new deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, later, Elaine is going to talk about love maps, which means we must be intentional. You, let me say that word again. We must be intentional about our marriages. They are not just going to become good. You've got to be intentional about everything that you do. Now, listen, back in 1998, I know a lot of you might not have been born back then, but back in 1998, because we old, y'all remember, how many of you guys remember Madonna? Remember, by a show of hands, Madonna? Okay, all right. Now, in 1998, Madonna released an album called The Ray of Light. One of the songs was called To Have But Not To Hold. To me, this is pretty much what the culture is like right now. You just want to try things out for a minute. I want to have you. I just don't want to keep you. Hello, somebody. I just want you in my bed. I just don't want you in my bed until in the morning. Uh, can we talk to grown folk today? All right. And since we're all grown in here, so we're going to talk grown folk stuff. Amen. I want to act like we're married. And I want all the goodies that come with marriage, but I don't want to make a commitment. That's to have, but not to hold. That's why we're talking about to have and to hold. See, we live in a mentality. They say you got to try it before you buy it trying it before you're buying it however is not god's way see that's man's way so how many married folks do i have in here today by show of hands most of us awesome so for those who are married how many of you would say that you think you know the purpose for marriage you can raise your hand i mean this is interactive that you think you know the purpose for marriage only one person <laughs> it's not a trick question. It's not a trick question. <laughs> it's promise. okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's not a test. Yeah, no, it's not a test. <laughs> so People I'm are a, reluctant. I'm going to throw out a couple of things. Do you think that it's to be in a relationship that allows you to have endless sex? 
Legally. Legally. <laughs> So I said, yes. <laughs> Come on, you can be honest. <laughs> or do you think that it's so that you <laughs> so that you can share bills and responsibility and re increase your financial leverage? Is that part of it? <laughs> Is that what it does? <laughs> Sam said that's what it do. Well, how about this? Maybe marriages are wonderfully designed by God in a way to typify the real relationship between God and the church. Doesn't that sound like the best one? Yeah, the, Sister Kim said, now that's the ultimate. Yeah, yeah, you know. But, but, but past that. <laughs> See, <laughs> The ultimate design behind marriage is that God created marriage so that it would represent, that's the closest representation we have of Christ and the church here on earth. The man is who? God, I thought they said they knew. Uh -huh. in, the, in the home, who is in the relationship? Who is the man? He's the head. Mm -hmm. who, are, who, are, who are the wives? The church. That's right. So we are a representation of what God intends for us in the hereafter. See, we can't, he, we are, we're human. This is all he has on earth to show us what marriage is. How sad is it that we take it and we abuse it? See, marriage is intended to be nurtured, not to be abused. What happens is we get in these marriages and we ha have situations where people want to take control. That you, you do as I say do. It's all about what I say, and I'm speaking now. It could be the man or it could be the Jezebel. It doesn't matter. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> Lord. <laughs> all right, so let's back up. Everybody knows what Jezebel is. barrel's blazing. <laughs> Everybody knows what the Jezebel spirit is, or do I need to explain? Explain, please. Okay. See, everybody, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little bit of a, a story here, and it's a funny story, but the Jezebel spirit is not based on what color you wear. It's not based on whether you wear makeup. It's not based on whether you dance. It's not based on whether you, you know, like to adorn yourself in certain ways. The Jezebel spirit is a controlling, mm -hmm. manipulating spirit. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we have women in relationships that are Jezebels. I just, I mean, it's the truth. You don't, the man, the man doesn't do what you tell him to do? Thank you. Clank, clank. So what that's happens a Greek is, word. yeah, that's, 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 clank, clank is Greek for shut it down. <laughs> but also, a man can operate in a Jezebel yes, spirit too. Yes, he can. Because it's a spirit. It's no gender to a that's spirit. Right. Amen. It is no gender. And it is, but typically we always have had it tied to women because Jezebel was a woman in the Bible. So when we were going to get married, oh God, is this going to be on Facebook? Yeah. Yeah. I may I be careful. <laughs> I, I wanted to wear red. Not me personally, but I wanted my, my folks to wear red. And red is considered a what? <laughs> right. So, you know, that created problems. Um, so I just wanted to, and I'm not going to go into more detail, but I just want to explain that it has nothing to do with color. And guys, but guess I, what color we wore? 
Red. Because I do what I want to do when I do it. I'm going to give a little shout out for Delta Sigma Theta. Anyhow. Um, <laughs> why did I do that? But one of the things in marriages, though, this is something that we teach in our um, premarital classes and even postmarital if you have to go through it after marriage, is that we always hear people say you have to give 50-50. Mm-hmm. There is no 50-50 in marriage. No, it's not. It's 100-100. Matter of fact, it's 150 to 100. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> no, seriously. It, it, because you cannot expect to give half. See, what happens is we get in these marriages and we get in relationships, and some of the people that have been through our, our premarital can attest to this. If, if he gives me 50 and I give him 50, then what happens with the other 50? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Some, something's, Something. getting, something's getting lost, right? His mm-hmm. other 50 and my other 50 is out there to be questioned. What happens in marriage is it does not matter how much somebody gives. You need to give 100% all the time because that's what God desires of us. Mm-hmm. He, doesn't, he doesn't want 50% of us. That's right. He wants 100%. So when you are in a marital situation, if you really want a healthy, happy marriage, it does not matter whether that person is given 100% in your mind because they might be in their mind. You always need to give 100 See, always question, how would God look upon me? In this situation, if I'm in an argument with him, how would God look upon me if I'm always trying to only give my 50%, always looking at him negative, always trying to disrespect him, always treating him bad, and I'm not giving my 100, but yet and still I want to turn around and walk away because I think he's not giving 100%. We have to stay together and connected and give 100 and 100. Does that make sense? So, you know, the scripture says in um, Romans 5.21 that submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, we are to submit ourselves to your, oh, it says own. Yeah. And it's Ephesians, not Romans. It's Ephesians. I'm sorry, Ephesians. I did say Romans. I'm sorry, it's Mm -hmm. Ephesians. To your own Mm -hmm. husband Mm -hmm. as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. As Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now, I think all of us have heard this before, right? I'll skip down a little bit and I'll skip down to verse 25 where it says, husbands, love your wives. <laughs> now, it doesn't say own here, but come on. Your is very, imp- is very distinctive. Mm-hmm. Your doesn't mean theirs. <laughs> <laughs> so it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Mm-hmm. Husbands, are you willing to give yourselves up for your wives? See, that's what, that's what marriage is. I ain't hearing nobody say they're willing to do it, though. Exactly. Hey, one man say yeah. <laughs> Husbands, you willing to give yourself up? Yeah. Now, listen, listen. We'll give oh. up a little money. We'll let her borrow the car. We'll give up a little some little change. But when you start talking about giving up yourself. Do you understand what that means? Hmm. 
And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to go die, but it, it, nat in the natural. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to go out there and you're going to take a bullet, although I hope my husband would take a bullet for me. Oh, yeah. But what it does mean that there are some things in your life that are going to have to die. Hmm. If you think that you are going to be in a successful, happy, loving marriage, you cannot always be right. You can always, she cannot always be right. You have to be able to reconcile to be able to make, make things work mm -hmm. in a marriage. God's purpose for marriage includes physical, emotional, and spiritual connecting. Mm. However, everything is to his glory. Nothing we do in marriage is really for us. Having children, it's nice, but that's also for him too. Mm -hmm. When we connect physically, that's nice, but that's also for him too. And if you understand that, hush, John, if you understand that marriage. <laughs> hold on, hold on, wait a minute, hold on. Wait a minute, now, if you understand, you can get yours in here in a second. Right, if you understand on. that marriage is to glorify God, <laughs> then you can't throw around that D word. The D word. Divorce. <laughs> I had you, didn't <laughs> Somebody said, I was using that D word last night, not that one. See, we, lose, we use that word loosely in, today's, in today. Every time you look up, well, you know, if it don't work, I'll just D her or I'll D him, right? People go into marriage today with that whole concept that, well, if it doesn't work out, mm -hmm. we'll just get a divorce. That's not God's intention for marriage. So I want to go back I know you do a this. second. <laughs> Because she says something about, you know, we glorify God and that little part about when we are physically connected. Hallelujah. Now, now, see, a lot of times people don't understand that you can invite God to your marital bed. You do realize God doesn't view sex as nasty. He created it. But he created it in the confines of a marriage. If it's outside of the marriage, it's nasty. <laughs> Are you hearing me? I don't care how good you think it was. It was nasty to God. But when you are married, he blesses the relationship in your marital it's bed. It's tasty. He loves it. When Why? You're, when you're married. When you're married. He, he created it for you guys to enjoy yourselves. Now, are we grown in here or not? Okay, so so one of the biggest issues that we see when we're counseling is either finances or sex. And I'm talking about Christian marriages, right? So you're not supposed to get saved and get boring. Oh, Lord, you don't want me to get started on that. Oh, I, I'm telling you, we might need to go there for a second. But you don't get saved and get boring. Who wants to be in some old boring, yeah. You know yeah, what I'm, I'm saying? I'm going to throw something out here, and you can decide to raise your hand or not. Uh-oh. But before some of us were married, were we active? Y'all was enjoying was. it then, weren't you? I bet you was hanging from the ceiling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> On the kitchen table. <laughs> All kinds of All stuff, All kinds right? of stuff. 
Then you got married, and what happened? It got boring. I hope not. So, so if you really want to know more about that, come on to our couples retreat next year. Amen. And we'll get into that. We can't get into all of that right now. But listen, starting out in a marriage, listen, this is how it is. Usually for the female, one of the things that the female desires is to start out in a marriage is affection. Because anyway, sex is about how the woman feels. Right. A man is stimulated by what he sees. It don't take much for a man. You see, you're ready. A woman is different. She's stimulated by how she feels. You got to make sure she feels like she's ready right then, but maybe not right there. So maybe in the morning, you're already doing what you need to do to have her ready for that night. Come on, somebody. You work it all day. You work it all day, girl. You know, you work it in a text message and say, boy, when I walked out the house today, you just better be glad I had to go to work. Or you send a nice little email and say, boy, oh boy, you know what I'm saying? Listen, listen, these are some of the things that will keep your marriage healthy because if you send stuff to her, you won't have time to do anything else. Send stuff to me, she don't have time to do anything else. And so, listen, here, here, here's the deal. A man is different. He's, he's, he wants to be sexually stimulated or fulfill early on in the marriage. Now listen, as you get older, that is going to switch. <laughs> when, I got some brothers in the house that, had, that were over that 50 mark. So we understand now it's flipped. Now we want to be held. Baby, can you just hold me tonight? <laughs> and we want to be sexually fulfilled. And then she's like Jane, swinging on a vine, talking about Geronimo. <laughs> and I'm like, baby, can you just hold me tonight? <laughs> so what I'm saying is, if you've married for a while, things are going to change. And what you fall in love with the person is about the spirit of the person because the spirit doesn't change. Everything outside is going to change, but her spirit and his spirit is not. So, listen, we want to give you five safeguards to divorce-proof your marriage. And let me do this first one really quick here. Uh, oh, I went the wrong way. So five gay, uh, safeguards. Here's the first one. Bless, not curse your spouse. Mm. Bless, not curse your spouse. Instead of focusing on your spouse's shortcomings, what do they do well and focus on those? Do you want your shortcomings always brought out? Hello, somebody. So when you got saved, does God always bring up your shortcomings? No. So we should bless and not curse. So choose to speak words of blessings, encouragement validation, affirmation. If you don't do it, men, somebody else will. I guarantee it. You ain't all that and a bag of chips when you ain't doing what you need to be doing. There is a guy out there that will encourage your wife when you won't. All right, why y'all quiet? Uh-huh. Yeah, just just nah, just try me on it. Romans 12, 14 says, bless and not curse. And this takes discipline and humility. Also, don't latch out at your spouse just for forgetting things. Mm -hmm. 
There's a lot of quiet on that. But I you know ain't what? lying. Don't we, we all forget stuff, don't we? And we all lash out at our spouses, don't we? Uh-huh. Yeah, me too. So, so we hadn't mastered the stuff that we're teaching, guys. <laughs> Sam, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I ain't lying. I'm, I'm, I'm going to repent right now. <laughs> so listen, before you say anything negative and before you lash out, why don't you just pray first? Pray and ask God, okay, God, in this particular situation, what do you want me to say? Because right now I'm angry, right? But this does take humility and discipline. It's not going to happen overnight, but... If you humble yourself and discipline yourself enough, it'll be automatic. Before you get ready to say something, you go, let me just walk away for a second, and we can talk later. Right? Okay. So Elaine is going to go with the next one. Well, so the first one is bless, not curse your spouse. Replace contempt with love and respect. And see, the Bible speaks of love and respect. And one of the books that we share with our couples whenever we do our couples retreats and our couples meetings and, and even in our premarital counseling, we have a book that we share, and it's called Love and Respect. Now, this is the book right here, and it's by oh, Dr. You, you want to you be showing tell for me, Vanna? By Dr. Emerson <laughs> Egrich. <laughs> now, Apostle Paul shares about marriage in this way, that each one, and we talked about this, is to love his wife as himself. And the wife is to respect her husband. Mm -hmm. Love, respect. Now, everybody wants love and everybody wants respect. But one of the things that's specific in a marriage is that a man wants to be validated. He wants to know that he's the man. And he wants to know that you look upon him and you respect him in that manner. To make the proper decisions, to be the head of your household. But he just mentioned what we want. Mm -hmm. We want to be loved. We want to be treated like the, the queens and the princesses mm -hmm. that we always desired when mm -hmm. we were growing up. Love is vitally important. Now, not that we don't want to be respected. We do. However, the Bible puts it very clear. Respect the man. Love the woman. See, they are opposite of contempt. So if you love and respect your spouse then there's no opportunity for contempt to creep in. Mm -hmm. So you have to choose to mm -hmm. love mm -hmm. with whom you're going to be frustrated because frustration demonstrates that you're angry. But if you turn that frustration over to Jesus Christ and rely on him, then it will allow you to turn that contempt into respect. So you married that person for a reason. Mm -hmm. Respecting someone who acts disrespectfully is very difficult. But when we have the spirit of God, all things are possible. Mm -hmm. So next time you're in an argument with your spouse, ask yourself, how can I, and I mean, I'm, since I'm a female, I'm going to say, how can I love him? Of course, if it's you, a man, you say, how can I love her? But how can I love him based on the way he's acting? Mm -hmm. But if I say I'm a Christian, there is a way I can love him based on that. And that is I have to keep myself focused on Christ. And sometimes you got to pray your way through. Mm -hmm. Bite your tongue. Because the tongue can hurt. And it's lasting hurt mm. that you can't take back. Mm -hmm. An anecdote to contempt is fondness and attraction and admiration. So if you maintain a sense of respect for your spouse, then you're most likely to act 
I think I'm reading this wrong. If you maintain a sense of respect for your spouse and you are most likely to act disgusted with him or her when you disagree, then you have to think back to mm -hmm. the antidote. Admiration, fondness. You had that when you married him. That's the anecdote. Admiration, fondness. Keep that in mind. Those are two major words. When you're thinking you're angry, when you're thinking you're mad and you can't get over it, fondness and admiration were the things that drew you to your spouse. Mm -hmm. And one of the things she was talking about is love and respect. That was in Ephesians chapter 5. It doesn't say love the man if he's lovable or, or respect the man if he's respectable or love the woman if she's lovable. It's unconditional. Even if they're unloving, you still love the woman. Even if he's disrespectful, you still respect him. Because this is based on the word of God, not based on how you feel. Hello? So one question here. Does God still love you when you are unlovable? Does he still respect you when you're disrespectful? Then if you got God in your marriage, you got to take this before God, not before your feelings. Amen? Hello. Okay. So let me do number three real quickly here. Number three, and these are five simple safeguards to divorce-proof your marriage. Settle your self-worth. So let me, let me just see if I can break it down really quickly here. Don't be dependent on your spouse to get your self-worth. You must have self-worth in Jesus. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you. A lot of times in situations, in, in relationships, uh, the woman or the man, they're trying to get some sense of self-worth from them. But what if they don't, you know, appreciate you or admire you? Then you can't just go in hiding. You can't just be depressed. Now, let me, you do need to, you know, give words of affirmation. You do need to appreciate your spouse. Now, I'm not saying that you don't, but I'm saying your self-worth does not come from that marriage. Your self-worth comes from Jesus. Because we're only dealing with Christian marriages here. We're not the people in the world. They don't understand this because they don't understand submission. They think submission is slavery. Submission. All of us should be submitted unto Jesus Christ, first of all. Right. And so settle it that, you know what? I get my self-worth and my substance, I, who I am from Jesus. And that, you know what? My wife can come home tripping or my husband can come home tripping. But you know what? I love Jesus and he loves me. And based on their reaction to me, I'm not going to allow that to change how I treat them. Amen. 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 And so if you don't react to certain things, the other person has no other choice but to change. If you stop responding in a certain way, they have no other choice but to calm down. If you refuse to get mad every time the other person gets mad, at some point they're going to have to calm down because you ain't going to deal with it. <laughs> Right. And so it's all about how are you going to react to a situation? Are you going to be more proactive or reactive? Right. But we have to settle it. All of us in this room have to settle it that we know who we are based on Jesus. So settle that as your self-worth. The fourth item is risk your heart. Now, my husband got a little confused about this. He kept saying, risk your heart. What does that mean? Well, it's somewhat like guarding your heart. But, but what it means is that when you've been hurt, 
See, the enemy has a way of always convincing us to isolate ourselves. We hmm. go into hiding. We go, you know, that off to our island. We don't want to be bothered with anybody. And when you do that and you're in a marriage, it hurts. So many of us will go into our cave. We don't want to communicate. We don't want to talk. Mm. We don't want to let mm -hmm. anybody know what's going on because there's that risk that if I open up to you, hmm. you're going to hurt me. You're going to say something wrong. Maybe you're going to take advantage of what I'm feeling. But see, you got to risk your heart. God did not, he did not put us in a marriage for us to be afraid and to be, we're supposed to be together. We're mm -hmm. supposed to be one. Mm -hmm. See, sometimes maybe whatever's going on might require counseling. But it's imperative that you remove yourself from isolation. You cannot mm -hmm. remain isolated. That causes depression. Mm -hmm. It can cause sickness. It can cause all uh, kinds of things that can happen when you go into isolation. See, Psalms 147 and 3 puts it this way. God can heal the brokenhearted, and he can bind up your wounds. See, we, have to, we always have to rely and go back to the word of God. Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart for everything that you do flows from it. So if you start isolating yourself and, and, and falling into negativity and everything, then what's going to come out of your heart? Negativity. How is that going to impact mm -hmm. your family? How is that going to impact your spouse? So risking your heart, if you want to say guarding, that's fine. But risking your heart, don't go into isolation don't allow anger to, to separate you from your family. Don't allow situations to come in between your marriage. Mm -hmm. Don't allow children. Mm. Amen. Oh, you want me to hit that part? I can't because, you know, in some situations, we've allowed our kids to take control. And you got to be the parent. Amen. There's some things we did with our daughter, like, for one, she locked had the her door. own bedroom. We locked the door. Amen. So you might say, well, that might be me. No, that's teaching. Mm -hmm. that's right. that's right. No, that, that was our bedroom, not theirs. They had their own. <laughs> so there are some things you need to do, and that's discipline. And it's healthy for the child. Because if you begin to be soft on your borders or your boundaries, they're going to push those boundaries every time, and you're going to give in. But if you just said, nope, no, not happening, eventually they're going to say, oh, well, sure, that ain't going to happen. Right? But you're going to have to stay on your ground. Who's the parent? Hello. So you have to be the parent. That's Praise all right. The Lord. We'll spend more time on that next week. It's awful quiet in here. Yeah, it is quiet up in this Presbyterian church. Mm -hmm. So let's give you the last one. Then we got three toxic, three toxic uh, uh, enemies that we want to talk about. So this is the last one. Believe the best. Believe the best. You should always attempt to believe the best in your spouse. Check this out. Let me just give you uh, the scripture here. Apostle Paul says, <laughs> oh, got it? All right. Sorry, Sam. All right. There we go. Everybody getting they, they connecting that, right? Praise God. I like that. Share all of this on Facebook. That's all right. All right? So the next one, I want to give you the scripture here. Uh, it's in 1 Corinthians. I can't give you all of 1 Corinthians 13 because we call it the love chapter. Right. But I just want to give you this part. It said, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Sometimes, though, when you are in an argument, 
Hello. <laughs> okay. All right. Can we get real for a second? All right. All right. Where are the married folks at? By show of hands? Okay. So when you are in an argument, one of the things we tend to do is to jab. And we know that hot button, don't we? Hello. We know each other's hot button because we've been living with each other. With each other. We've been married going on 23 years. So we know each other's hot buttons. And uh, why is it that we always go for the hot buttons? I mean, it's just like they work. Bam, they work. Right. Because I'm going to get a rise out of her because then she's going to react. Right. And I know what I'm doing. And while I'm doing it, I'm saying, man, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but I do it anyway. Why is that? Can somebody say flesh? That's your flesh, right? And so, so your flesh will always do things like that. But what we have to do, again, as children of God, at some point, we got to step back and assess, if I say this, what's going to happen? We're going to have to step back and say, okay, let me visualize this. Because so, if I say what I'm about to say, is that healthy for my relationship? Is that healthy for my marriage? Is it going to cause an argument that's going to last for three months? Right now, listen again, we haven't mastered this. We're just saying we're working on this together. That when we when you fuss, how many of y'all fuss? And if you say you don't get out the church. Yeah, I ain't lying. Because lightning's going to strike. I ain't lying. There's people that told us, oh, we, we don't ever argue. And I said, well, if you're not fussing, you ain't talking. In a relationship, you are going to fuss. You're going to argue because you got different mindsets, you're in the same house, and it's healthy. Yes, it is. But we just got to learn how to fight fair. Amen? It is healthy. So believe the best. You married that person because you saw some good things in them. Sometimes we have to take ourselves back to understand, well, why did I marry this person? What are some of those good qualities? I want to believe the best in you even when you mess up the worst. Mm -hmm. Doesn't God do that to us when we just jack stuff up and God says, you know what? Come here. I still love you. Why can't we do that in our marriage? Girl, you just messed this thing up, man. You just I thought you said you could fix this. Why are we so quick to throw it away? Believe sometimes, the best. Sometimes we throw it away too fast only to realize that the, the grass was not greener on the other side. <laughs> Hey, talk about grass. Well, Look, if you water your own grass, it'll be green. Mm -hmm. Yes, Lord, hallelujah. <laughs> See, let me tell you something. If, if you say that there's something over there that I need that I'm not getting in my relationship, the Bible says, give, and it shall be given unto you. If you think you can get something outside of the relationship, why don't you start giving it in the relationship right. and then you won't desire to try to get Amen. it outside of the relationship. The Bible says give first. You want more hugs? Give more hugs. You want more <laughs> in the bed? Then give affection. Hello, somebody. You want to be encouraged? Start encouraging your spouse. I got one hand clap. 
That's all right. We're going to preach it anyway. That's right. All right. So, so those are the five. So let's, let me give you three toxic enemies to intimacy. This is, this is going to be short and sweet, and then we're going to have questions and answers. The first toxic enemy is called affair. An affair. Now listen, when God created the woman, he took a rib and created a woman. There were no spare ribs hanging around. There are no spare ribs, so there should not be any spare spouses. Say that one again. There are no spare ribs. And I, I work in corporate America. I hear people talking about, oh, this is my work wife and this is my work husband. Yeah, yeah, the devil is a liar. You're setting yourself up. There ain't no work wife. No, I work with you. No, I ain't going to be spending all this time with you. I'm going to spend that time with my wife. So let me give you the definition of an affair because a lot of people don't even understand what it is. An affair is anything, let me say that again, anything and anybody outside our marital relationships that competes or takes the place of what should be happening inside the marriage. Anything or anybody. So an affair does not have to be with a person. You can have an affair with food. You can have an affair with sports, Facebook, social media, friendships outside of your marriage, shopping, money, gambling. (laughs) Pretty much anything you can have an affair with. Anything that takes your affection away from your marriage, or anyone that takes your affection away from your marriage. And I told you guys this before, and when I got to meet with a woman for lunch, I, I got to either get my wife, or I get Pastor Tim, and Richard knows, I get Richard. So I, I'm not meeting women by myself. No, I don't do that. Even if you're in the church, we've had people here in the church want to meet for lunch. And my wife, I call my wife. Oh, yeah, you can, we can meet, but you're going to meet with me and my wife. And I would suggest all men do the same thing. Guard your heart. We, Pastor Lane just talked about that, guarding your heart. Don't take that, that risk, and all of a sudden you're starting to share intimate things with somebody on your job. They don't need to know what's going on in your house. Ain't none of their business. What's going on? You know, ain't none of your business going on in my house. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. So that was the first one. The second one, <clears throat> excuse me, is a disappointing past. Maybe you were taught that sex is dirty because, you know, that is what we have been taught. And he just explained that in the context of marriage, sex is absolutely not dirty. Maybe you've been taught that men should dominate women. We both all, we all know that that's not the case. It says that we are submit one to another. There's yes. no domination there. Both of these assumptions are contrary to what the author of sex says about it in the Bible. Abuse. Maybe you've had some unfortunate things happen to you in the past, like sexual abuse or maybe you had an abortion. Mm-hmm. Things of those nature have happened, do happen, and will continue to happen. But if you don't have a plan for counterattack, 
If you don't have any way to help these scars heal, then they do have a potential of defining you. Mm -hmm. Now, I will tell you, I have a past. And God has healed that past. Mm. But that past could have been a detriment to my marriage. It does. Those pasts do creep in. Mm -hmm. See, what can happen in that past? And I'll explain. Part of mine is, is sexual abuse. And sexual abuse, when you have gone through that, and then you get into a marriage, then you can take those same feelings, those same mistrust, those same things that crept up, uh, that, that, that you experienced through that sexual abuse can creep up and place mm -hmm. themselves yep. into the midst of your marriage. It happened. I'm not speaking from something I think. I'm not mm -hmm. speaking right now from something I've read. I'm speaking from something I, I've experienced. And we go through that. We hide these things. We mm. sweep them under the rug. We think everything's okay. And we take that immediate instant gratification, that feeling of love and ooey-gooeyness, and you say, oh, everything's going to be okay, but you never took care of that dirt under the rug. Mm. And what ends up happening is one day in your marriage, you pull that rug back and all that dirt comes out. Mm -hmm and you don't know what to do. Your vacuum cleaner's broken. <laughs> you have got to understand that you can't take those disappointing pasts and y allow them to create the current future that you might have in the situation that you're in. They cannot define your marriage. Mm. So if you have pasts, and you don't feel God has been able to, you, you, you just don't feel that you've either been able to let him go or you've prayed about it. You're not sure how to get through it. You know, there's always help. We know God is a sovereign God and he is the ultimate healer. But sometimes we need some help. Mm -hmm. Don't be ashamed to seek out help. Mm -hmm. Don't be prideful. Because if your marriage matters then you will do whatever it takes to make it work. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you need to fast and pray and let God change your heart, right? And what she's talking about, it, I had my past too. So we brought all of that stuff together, whole lot of stuff. I had more stuff than her, right? But it did affect us. It affected us for seven years in our marriage, seven long, hard years. So when people see us today, they go, man, you guys, man, y'all got it going on. Well, you don't know all of our story, right? Because I feel like we got the perfect book, Marriage Made in Heaven Going Through Hell. Because we went through, didn't we, baby? We went through seven years of hell. It was rough. You know, some of the things that came up as a result of what she had gone through, it affected me. Then I suffered from shame, and it affected me. And I'm talking about affected us in the marital bed. We can go public with this. It doesn't, I don't really care because we delivered. And so it affected us in the place where you want to perform the best in a marriage. 
So you might be out there and you think, man, we're just not hitting on all cylinders. You ain't the only one. Talk to somebody, especially as a man, because we're so prideful. Oh, I, I ain't talking to nobody. I, I can handle it on my own. Well, you ain't. You struggling. Right? So listen, you, you, you're looking at a man that has struggled with impotency in my life. And I then, know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And after that, then he was diagnosed with cancer on mm-hmm. top of it. On top of that. So I've had my struggles. Now, we've since been delivered and everything is good now. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Where's that drama when you need him? Amen. (laughs) But what we're saying is this. Through all of that, we believed in each other. We lifted each other up. Not once. Did my wife ever make me feel less than a man? And not, not once. once did he ever say that he wanted to be with someone else or that we were going to go through a divorce. Not once. And I'll tell you, this is where it gets hard. Hmm. He could have. And it wasn't because I did anything wrong. It's because I wasn't doing anything at all. Wives, don't allow yourselves to get caught up. And you think he's just going to understand. He's not going to just understand. It's difficult for him to understand. If there's something wrong, fix it. And that's what I had to do. But he loved me through it. See, the basis of marriage, the ultimate basis, is you got to be friends. If you don't have a friendship to fall back on, if you don't have that foundation, right. don't get married. Right. Because I don't care how much sex you can do, it's going to die. <laughs> Eventually. I don't care how much philandering you can do, it's going to die. I don't care how much partying, I don't care how much anything you can do, you can raise the kids, they're going to leave. Yes. When it's all said and done, all you have left is you and him. If you don't have a friendship, that's why you see people that are married 30, 40, 50 years break up. Because once those children are gone, or once all, whatever the distractions might be, when they're gone, you have nothing left. Mm. That's when you really have to rely on, especially, now I'm speaking to Christians, that's when you really have to rely on Christ. Because you have got to get back to whatever that fondness and admiration was mm-hmm. that you discovered when you decided to say, I do. Okay. So let's give you this last one. We're going to wrap this up. So the last one is, oh, Elaine had another scripture there. Would you say your scripture there, oh, baby? I'm sorry. I got caught up. <laughs> it's okay. Um, in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, it says, flee fornication for every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Okay, so let's break that down. It's saying, don't fornicate. Mm. Because when you do that, you are doing, you are committing a sin against God's body, your own body. Mm -hmm. That's what it's saying. So, you know, you might be committing a sin, but it's against your own body. Mm Mm-hmm. 
This is God's temple. It's not ours. We shouldn't be sinning. Again. I mean, <laughs> the sins that we commit, we think we are autonomous of God, but we are not autonomous of God. This is his body. So when you go out there, whether you're married, committing adultery, or whether you're single, fornicating, it doesn't matter. Sex is sex. If you're doing it outside of marriage, you are actually hurting God's body. Mm-hmm. Not yours. Amen. So let's do this last one. Last one. Oh, we don't want to talk about this one right here, do we? Wait a minute, Pastor. Can you use that long word in the church? So pornography is a 